at first when I was younger A strange connection to the light I tried to satisfy the hunger I never got it right I never got it right So I climbed a mountain and built an altar Looked out as far as I could see And every day I'm getting older I'm running out of dreams I'm running out of dreams But your love, your love The only thing that matters is your love Hey, can we celebrate all those giving to our feeding centers around the world? We appreciate your giving. Uh, we started supporting feeding centers around the world about five years ago. We've added a couple of feeding centers. We're up to three feeding centers. And no other churches support these feeding centers. These are our feeding centers that we started. These are our kids that we feed. So thank you so much to all of you who have been giving the last several years. And every year, once a year, we repledge. Um, our, our goal for the next year. And so our goal this year is $3,000 a month. Uh, we've been doing this the last uh, three weeks. So today will be our final week. If you haven't yet pledged, you can find a pledge sheet there in your newsletter. Uh, fill it out and just drop it in the offering bucket. Um, our goal is $3,000 a month. We were up to about $2,300, $2,400 a month as of last Sunday. And we're believing in faith that we're going to reach our goal of $3,000 this uh, Sunday. And if you have been giving in the past and you say, well, I'm just going to continue to do what I've been doing, fill out another pledge sheet because we'll calculate that in again for next year so we know where we're at. And for $10 a month, you can feed a, a child every day in one of our feeding centers for just $10 a month. So if you haven't gotten involved, I hope you will. It's a great opportunity, great ministry as we're seeing kids come to Christ and their families around the world. So thank you again for your giving to this special ministry. Take out your Bibles this morning and turn to Mark chapter 13. And today we're going to be concluding a little three-part mini series called Back to the Future. This is part of our entire summer series called Greatest Hits, and this is three messages I did several years ago in Mark chapter 13, and we all have questions about the future. It's exciting to talk about these events. We've had a lot of great feedback about this. If you've missed any of these messages, I highly encourage you to go to our website, orchardchurch.tv, and go to the message page, and you can see the last two weeks. I'm going to do a quick review right now what we've been talking about and looking at. Uh, we know that Jesus was meeting with his disciples about 2,000 years ago, and they're asking about the future. They're asking about, you know, when is the end of the world? When is the second coming of Christ? How can we know? What, what should we look for? And Jesus answers their questions about the future uh, around an event called the tribulation. If you've heard of the tribulation, say yes. It's a seven-year-long period. It's the fulfill, final fulfillment of Daniel's 70 weeks of prophecy. We went into all of that last week. Um, and Jesus has been talking about what happens before the tribulation, 
during the tribulation, and now this week we're going to look at after the tribulation. So once again, we'll put our timeline on the board. This is kind of a panoramic view. Uh, the first week we talked about uh, what is going to happen right before the seven years of tribulation. We believe the next prophetic event on God's time calendar that we're waiting for as believers in Jesus Christ is an event called the rapture of the church. You can read about that in First Thessalonians chapter 4. Revelation refers to it, I believe, as well. And that is then going to trigger seven years of tribulation on this earth. We dealt with all of that last week. And then at the end of the seven years of tribulation will be the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that is going to happen right after the seven years of tribulation. That's what we're going to talk about today. So if you're taking notes, we're looking at after the tribulation, the second coming of Christ. And it's important that we remember that the rapture happens first, then seven years of tribulation, then the second coming. The first event when Jesus returns, we're going to be caught up to meet him in the air, right church? The second event, Jesus is going to, at his second coming, he's going to come back physically to the earth, set up a millennial kingdom. That's what we're going to talk about today. Jesus addresses this in Mark chapter 13. We'll pick it up where we left off last week. Verse 24 says, but in those days, after that, what's the next word? Tribulation, after the tribulation, so we're at the end of the seven years now on the timeline. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars of heaven will fall and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. This is the second coming of Jesus Christ with great power and great what, church? glory with power and glory and then he Jesus will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds this is the the Jewish people and those that accept Christ during the tribulation from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven and this will be the moment that the nation of Israel Jewish people will recognize Jesus finally the blinders will come off and they'll recognize Jesus as their Messiah now when Jesus came to the earth the first time he just came as a little baby in a manger and there were very few people that were there Mary Joseph few shepherds and there weren't very many people in the world that knew about it but when Jesus comes the second time listen church the whole world is going to know about it I mean the heavens are going to shake he's going to come in power and glory and majesty nobody's going to miss when Jesus comes the second time nobody and we're talking about the second coming not the rapture and this is the event of all history Everything is, is climaxing and culminating with this event. This is the event of the Bible. I mean, if God has a calendar, you know, when we get excited about certain events, you know, like the first day, you know, the first real Broncos game, you know, we get excited about stuff like that. You know, we circle it on our calendars, we highlight it, we underline it, we put stars and smiley faces. If God has a day on his calendar that he is most excited about than any other day, it's this day. It's the second coming of Jesus Christ, also referred to in the Bible as the day of the Lord. This is the day that God is most excited about. Now, as New Testament believers, this side of the cross, you know, when we think about the end time events, we usually focus mostly on the rapture of the church because that's the event that we're waiting on to happen. And, you know, we're going to recognize that that event when it takes place. You know, if you're going through your day and all of a sudden you vanish and you're in heaven, you're going to recognize that. You're going to know something has taken place. And so we talk a lot about the rapture and we read books about the rapture, like Left Behind series. And, you know, we make movies about the rapture. There's another one coming out. Did you see the trailer yet? Uh, Left Behind, Nicolas Cage is in it. We'll see how that goes. 
And, and we tend to focus a lot as a church, as New Testament believers, on the rapture. That's not the event we're talking about today. We dealt with that two weeks ago. We're talking about the second coming of Christ, the day of the Lord. This was a day that the Old Testament believers knew a lot about. But not a lot of New Testament believers know about this day. I think you're going to learn some things today. And it's important that we understand the difference between the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ. One Bible scholar said it this way, the first event, the rapture, is secret as the church is caught up and we meet Jesus in the air. The second event, the second coming of Jesus Christ, is public when the church returns with Christ to defeat Satan and his associates, and he'll set up, Jesus will set up a millennial thousand-year reign in Jerusalem. We tend to come to the Bible with our Christian glasses on, you know, as, as New Testament Christians. And for us, the greatest day in the Bible is the day that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins, was buried and rose again to forgive us our sins, to give us eternal life, to restore our relationship with God, to prepare a home in heaven. Amen? And that's what we focus on as, as the center of the Bible. But that's not the greatest day for God. Let's think about it from God's perspective. From God's perspective, that was a horrible day for him. When his son was arrested and falsely accused and mocked and spat upon and nailed to a cross and a crown of thorns was put on his head and a spear was driven through his side. And when he was on the cross, Jesus said to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because for the first time in all of eternity, God the Father and God the Son were separated. That was not a great day for God. Would you agree? It's a great day for us because it provided our salvation. But this day we're talking about, this second coming, the day of the Lord, this is going to be a great day for God. And this is going to be a great day for his son, Jesus Christ. And it's a special day. And uh, the Dameron House, uh, we have a plate, this plate right here. It's called the special plate. And it says on it, you're special, congratulations, hooray, let's celebrate. Shelly bought this plate when our kids were very young. And whenever they had a special day, she would get out this plate. So if it was their birthday or they got a good grade on a test or, you know, Caleb was always in sports if he had a really good game. Caitlin was in drama programs. If it was a special day, at dinner that night, they would get the special plate. I never got the special plate. I don't know why, but... <laughs> I think I got it once, like for Father's Day. They felt bad for me. But the kids would get the special plate. Now that they're teenagers, Caleb, you know, is getting ready to go off to college. Uh, next Sunday, we take him to, to college. So be praying for the Dameron family. That is not going to be a special day for us. It's not going to be a day we get out. But now if we, we try to get out the plate, the kids are like, no, I'll put that away. But there was a time they loved the special plate. Listen, if we're going to put a special plate out for God on his special day, it's this day we're talking about. It's the second coming of Jesus Christ, also known in the Bible as the day of the Lord. You have this in your notes. I want you guys to get this today. The theme of the Bible is the day of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus Christ. One popular theologian said it this way, the importance of Christ's second coming is evidenced by the fact that this truth is referred to twice as much as the crucifixion in the Bible Eight times more than Christ's first coming and 25 times, it's, it, it, one in every 25 verses in the New Testament, you read about this special day, the day of the Lord, the second coming. 
Now you ask, well, why is this such an important day for God? What, what's so special about this day? Here it is, church. This is the day where Jesus Christ will finally get the honor and the glory and the praise that he deserves. He did not get that the first time when he came, did he? No, they rejected him. They crucified him. But this is the day that the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he deserves power and glory and honor. And he will get it in that day. That's why this day is such a big deal to God. The day of the Lord is God's ultimate, it's been God's ultimate goal since the beginning of time and the fall of man. Jesus knew how big a deal this day was. And, he, and it was such a big deal, he tucked it into a famous prayer. You know, there's certain prayers that we pray, and if we're not careful, we say them so much that we don't even realize what we're saying and what we're praying. How many of you guys like me, when, when you were young, your parents taught you a little prayer? My mom taught me this little prayer that I prayed as a little boy before I would go to bed every night. I prayed it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, help me out. I pray the Lord my soul to take. Anybody else pray that prayer? Yeah, man, I, I prayed that prayer so much as a kid. I mean, I could, you know, I wanted to get to sleep fast, so I mean, I could just rip it off. I pray the Lord, you know, I would just rip it off. I had, it wasn't until I was actually an adult and a little bit older that I even thought about the amazing words in that prayer and when I was praying. Well, there's another famous prayer that I bet all of you have heard about. It's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. We refer to it as the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus said, when you pray, pray something according to this. And he wasn't giving us a prayer to say, always just pray these words. But he, he gave us kind of an, a, a model, something we could shoot for. And, and you know this. Say it with me. In this manner, Jesus says, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Stop right there. What you just prayed, whether you realize it or not, was for Jesus' day of the Lord and the second coming to take place. The first request in the Lord's prayer is your kingdom come. When is his kingdom gonna come? His literal millennial kingdom? At the day of the Lord, at the second coming. You maybe didn't even realize it, but that's what you're praying in the Lord's prayer. God wants us to be just as excited about this day as he is. And he says, when you pray, pray for the kingdom to come. Pray for Jesus to get his special day, the day of the Lord. This kingdom will be the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ on the earth that begins at the second coming. If you're with me, say, I am. That's what we're talking about. And this kingdom will begin in an event called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a key phrase in your Bible, if you know what to look for. It's a key phrase, especially in the Old Testament. When Peter was giving a message to the Jewish people, to Israel, in Acts chapter 321, he was talking about the second coming and the day of the Lord. And he says, which God has spoken by the mouth of, what's the next word? All his holy prophets since the world began. Peter said, all the prophets have been talking about the day of the Lord, the second coming, since the world began. That's how big a deal this day is. God's been talking about it for a long time. Let me give you some examples. Jude 14 says this. Now Enoch, a man named Enoch, the seventh guy from who? From Adam. Y'all, that's a long time ago. Seven dudes from Adam, a guy named Enoch, prophesied, talking about the future, about these men also saying, behold, the Lord does what? He comes with 10,000 of his saints. 
4,000 years before Jesus Christ came the first time, a man named Enoch, seven from Adam, is already talking about when he's going to come the second time. That's how big a deal this day is. And Peter said in Acts 3 that everybody's been talking about this day. Now, we could spend all day going to every place in the Bible. I'm just going to show you a few examples of the prophets. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 13, 6 says, Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. What day? The day of the Lord, the second coming. Jeremiah the prophet said in Jeremiah 46.10, For this is the day of the Lord God of hosts. Ezekiel the prophet in Ezekiel 30 verse 3 said, For the day is near, even the day of the Lord is near. Joel the prophet said, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. You can look at other prophets, Amos, Obadiah, Zechariah. All these prophets were saying the same thing about the same day the day of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Over 1,800 references are in your Bible that talk about the day of the Lord. Over 1,800. And all the, you know what's amazing is all the prophets, when they do talk about the day of the Lord, the second coming, they all said the same thing. And they all described the day in the same way. And it's not like the prophets all got in a room and said, okay, let's all agree about this. Because many of these prophets lived hundreds of years apart from each other. How is it possible that they all said the same thing about the same day? Because the same God was doing talking, giving instruction, telling people to get ready for this day. It became such a major topic among the prophets that they finally just shortened it to that day. And whenever you see in the Bible the phrase that day, it's almost always talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord. Somebody say that day. Oh, that day. Oh, that day. I know which day you're talking about. A great example of that is the prophet Zechariah, Zechariah 12, 8. He says, in that day, everybody say that day. In that day. What day? The day of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus Christ, beginning his millennial kingdom. In that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We don't have time to go into all this, but we know that Revelation tells us that the end of the seven-year tribulation is going to culminate with the battle of Armageddon, where all of the world will come against the nation of Israel to defeat them, and Jesus Christ will come back and save the day. That's the day. Zechariah 12, 9 says, it shall be in... That day, come on, work with me. In that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. 24 times in Zechariah, he just calls the day of the Lord, that day, that day, that day. Henry Thiessen, Bible scholar, said this. Understanding the Bible is difficult or impossible without understanding the day of the Lord. The fundamental teaching of the Lord's return is the key to the scriptures. It's the key. So, so why is the day of the Lord so key to the Bible? Here's why. Because God wants us to be just as excited about that day as he is. Because you know why, church? Some of y'all are like right now like, why should we be? I mean, we're already going to be raptured. How, or what's, what's that have to do with us? Why should we be just as excited about the day of the Lord and the second coming of Jesus Christ as God is? Here's why. Because it's not only the Lord's day. As believers in Jesus Christ, it's also our day. It's also our day. And two of you got it. You say, how's it our day? Well, remember, we were raptured some seven years before. We've been hanging out in heaven with Jesus 
But when Jesus comes back at the second coming, at that day, the day of the Lord, he's not coming alone. Jude 14 says this, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. Now, I know some of y'all are thinking right now, nobody would call me a saint. Especially anybody in my family that knows me. You may not act like a saint, all the time, but if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible calls us saints. We're saints. Saints are not good dead people in the Bible. They're believers in Jesus Christ. You know who's going to come back with Jesus to this earth to rule and reign with him for a thousand years? We are. We're coming with him. Revelation 19, 14 says he's bringing an army. Guess who's in that army? We are, the saints. Armies of heaven followed him on white horses how many of you guys have always wanted your own white horse? Would that be, you're going to get it. That's something to be excited about unless you're afraid of horses and it'll all be good. I want one that's not too big, okay? One my size, you know, maybe a pony. So if I fall off, I don't got to fall real far. We're, we're going to get a white horse. We're going to ride back. We're part of the armies. We're in on this thing to help defend Israel, Revelation 20 verse 4 says that we who come back with him on our white horses at the second coming day of the Lord, we will live and we will reign with Christ for a thousand years on this earth. And it's going to be the most incredible thousand years since the garden before Adam and Eve chose to disobey God because Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign and he's going to be in charge and things are going to be the way they were supposed to be before man fell into sin. I, I, I am excited about what those thousand years are going to look like. No pain, no sickness, no wars, no issues. That's something to get excited about. I remember when I did this message a couple years ago and uh, I have kind of my Saturday night routine that I always go through getting ready for Sunday. And people that know me well know, don't ask Pastor Doug to do much on Saturday night because I kind of, you know, get into Sunday mode, game day mode, you know, for, for, for the message. And I always go over my message one more time on Saturday night. I do it one more time on Sunday morning. And I remember I, I was going over this message right here a couple of years ago. And I, I, tried, I think I was in my bedroom and I was trying to be quiet, going over my message. And my daughter, Caitlin, she comes in. She's like, hey, Dad, what are you doing? And she wanted to talk to me. She likes to talk. I don't know where she got that from. I don't know, but probably her mom. But she likes to talk. And so she comes and wants to talk. I said, honey, that'd be great. I'll talk to you in just a minute. But I, let me just finish going over my message, and then let's talk. And she's like, oh, you're going over your message? I said, yeah. She goes, well, why don't you just go over it with me? Just, just kind of tell me about it. And I'm like, okay. So I start preaching to her. And I got up to about this point right here. And she stopped me, and she said, dad. She said, it, it seems like whenever you talk about stuff like this, some people get scared. They get afraid when you talk about the end times and the return of the Lord. She said, if they just understand what the Bible says, we shouldn't be afraid of this stuff. We should be excited about this stuff. Can we say amen? amen. She got it. We should get it. And God is so excited about this day and what's going to happen and our part in it that not only does he write about it from beginning to end over 1,800 times in the Old Testament, one in every 25 verses in the New Testament, but God knows sometimes we need a little extra help. So he paints us pictures. It's kind of like when, you know, you, if you're like me, you grew up in Sunday school and they had like the flannel graph, you know, put stick, stick people on the board. He paints us these pictures because we know a picture's worth a thousand 
words. And so, because Jesus doesn't want us to miss this event and what it's going to be like, he gives us some pictures throughout the Bible that we go, oh, that's what this day is going to be like. I want to take you to the very first chapter of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1. God's been preparing for this day since the beginning of time and the beginning of your Bible. Genesis chapter 1. If you need help, that's probably on page 1 of your Bible. I want to be helpful. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, and this is the creative week. Genesis 1, 3. It says, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, it was good. And God divided the light from darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the what, church? First day. The evening and the morning were the first day. How many of y'all believe that we have a God of order and structure? And he's very detailed in what he does. I mean, just look at the universe and how he's created it. So God is going to detail the creative week. And he says the evening and the morning were the first day. Okay? Then jump to verse 8. He does some more creating. And it says, and God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Evening and morning, first day. Evening and morning, second day. Look at verse 13. God did some more creating. And the evening and the morning were the third day. Look at verse 19. God does some more creating. Let's, let's read it together. So the evening, let's read it all together. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Jump down to verse 23. Hang with me. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Now jump over to verse 31. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the, say it church, evening and the morning were the sixth day. Six days God creates everything. He says evening and morning, first day, second day, evening and morning. Chapter 2 verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, pay attention to this, God ended his work which he had done and he rested on which day? The seventh day from all his work which he had done. Now watch this, verse three. God's trying to tell us something. He's painting a picture. Then God blessed the seventh day. He said this day is special. This day is unique. This day is blessed. He blessed the seventh day. He sanctified it. He set it apart because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. This is the history of the heavens and the earth and go on and go on and go on. You say, okay, what's up with that? Did anybody notice that something was missing on the seventh day? What was missing? Say it. No evening, no morning. Every day for six days, God says the evening and the morning, first day, second day, third day, all the way through six days, you get to the seventh day and there's no evening and there's no morning. Oh, God must have forgot. He was so tired of creating, he forgot. Do you think God forgot or do you think God is trying to tell us something? I think God is trying to tell us something. He was very specific, evening and morning for six days. The seventh day, there's no evening, there's no morning. He says that's a special day, that's a sanctified day, that's a blessed day, that's a special day, and there's no evening and morning. What's up with that? Here's the deal, church. God's trying to paint us a picture. When the sun comes up on the seventh day, it's not going down again. And the seventh day, I believe, is a picture of the millennial thousand-year-long day at the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's not the days of the Lord in the Bible. It's the day of the Lord. There's a thousand year period 
where there's no evening and no morning and it's a thousand year long day. And he's painting the picture right here in the very first chapter of our Bible. You say, come on, you're just making that up. Well, let me point you to the end of your Bible. You don't need to turn there. Revelation 21, 23 describes the day of the Lord. And listen what it says. In that day, the city had no need of the sun or the moon, no evening and no morning to shine because the glory of God illuminated it and the lamb is its light. I can't make this stuff up, y'all. I cannot make this up. God's painting us a picture. The seventh day is the second coming, the day of the Lord. It's the Lord's day. It's that day. God establishes that in the first page or two of your Bible. And then 1,800 times after making that statement, God continues to talk about that day, that day, the seventh day, the seventh day, the special day, the sanctified day, the blessed day, the day that has no evening and no morning. Let me give you another verse that proves this. In Exodus chapter 31, verse 17, we'll put it on the screen. Listen to what God said. He says, if you know what to look for, I'm trying to tell you something. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel for how long, church? It's a sign, God says, I'm giving you a sign forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. He said, that's a sign. That's not an accident. That's not a coincidence. And then you see this consistent pattern throughout Scripture. Six days and the seventh day, that's the Lord's day. It's that day. It's the second coming. Israel, God gives Israel a picture of that day so they don't miss it. And in Exodus chapter 24, verse 15, he, he paints them a picture to be prepared for the seventh day. Watch what it says. Then Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Remember what Jesus said when he comes back in the second coming? He's coming on the clouds of glory. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the clouds covered it. Interesting. Six days. Not four, not eight. Six days. And on the seventh day... God called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. He gave them a picture. It's like a movie preview of the seventh day, of the second coming, a day that is a thousand years long that has no evening and morning because God is the light and the glory of it. Jesus gives us a picture of that day, of the second coming. Watch how he paints the picture. Go back in your Bibles to Mark. We're going to go to Mark chapter 9. Watch this. Mark chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, he's he's with his 12 disciples. He's standing there. They're having a conversation. And Jesus says, assuredly, I say to you, disciples, that there are some of you guys standing here who will not taste death till you see the kingdom of God present with power. Now, that's an important statement. Jesus said to his disciples, some of you guys... Standing here are not going to die until you see the second coming. Have we seen the second coming of Jesus Christ take place yet? No. So here's the deal. Either there's some really old dudes walking around waiting for the second coming, or Jesus was about to do something. He tells them, some of you guys are going to see my second coming before you die. Now watch what happens next. Verse 2, now after, you could say it, six days, Jesus took 
three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and led them up to a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining in glory, exceedingly white, like snow, such as no launderer on earth could whiten them. You know what Jesus did? After six days, he took three of the disciples up on the mountain and he stripped himself of his human flesh and he showed the Shekinah glory of what he's gonna look like at his second coming. And guess what day it was when he did that? The seventh day. We can't make this stuff up. And all over the Bible in creation, God is screaming out this message about the seventh day. Six days God created seventh day he rested six days to our week and the seventh day is supposed to be a day of rest we'll see how we do six years God told Israel to plow their ground and in the seventh year he said let it rest God told Israel six years you can have a servant in your house and be part of your family but in the seventh year you let them go free and you let them rest it's everywhere it's everywhere in the Bible sometimes people say God just give me a sign. <laughs> and God's like, I've given you a sign. Everywhere you look, the seventh day is coming. Now, the question we want to know is how close are we to the seventh day? I mean, what time is it biblically? When is this seventh day going to happen? Well, God gives us a great little clue. It's in 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll put it on the screen for you for time's sake. But Peter is talking about, if you, if you go back and read the context, he's talking about the second coming, the day of the Lord, that day. You got the context? Say yes. Okay? We're not talking about the rapture. We're talking about the se second coming. And he's talking about that day. And listen to what he says in 2 Peter 3.8. But beloved, believers, do not forget this one thing. Peter says, don't miss this. I'm about to give you a clue how close you might be to the seventh day. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And the Lord is not slack concerning his promise about his return, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And if you take what Peter says and you take this pattern of six days and the seventh day is the Lord's day, many Bible scholars, and I happen to be one of them, believe that there may be 6,000 years of human history and the 7,000th year of human history is the day of the Lord, the seventh day. And before you guys think I'm absolutely cuckoo, let me give you what some other people have said about this day. In 200 BC, a, a Rabbi Elias, 200 years before Jesus came the first time, studying the scriptures said this, the world he believed endures 6,000 years of human history. 2,000 before the law, 2,000 under the law, and 2,000 under Messiah. And in the 7,000th year is the day of the Lord. Irenaeus in 150 AD said this, this is an account of things formally created as also it is a prophecy of what is to come about the future. For the day of the Lord is as a thousand years and in six days created things were completed. It is evident therefore that they will come to an end at the 6,000 years. We may be closer to the seventh day than what we realize. 
Now, I'm not a date setter. We know Jesus said no man knows the day or the hour, but we might know the seasons. We might know the generation. We don't know exactly when Adam and Eve were in the garden. They didn't have a Google calendar to leave us, unfortunately, that we can start. We don't know when this clock started, but most Bible scholars believe that there's been about 6,000 years of human history. 4,000 years before Messiah, we're in the year 2014. We may be closer to the seventh day than we realize. Now, to close, we've done three weeks on these future events, and they're exciting, and they're intriguing, and they're interesting, and there's more people coming on Sunday than we've had in months, because <laughs> y'all are interested in this. But we always want to make sure that the prophetical gets into the practical and how close we may be. And Jesus has just taught in Mark chapter 13 about all these events around the tribulation, before, during, and after. And then he closes with a couple of parables to, to just kind of give us a glimpse of how close we might be to his return. And I want to close with the way Jesus did. Look at Mark chapter 13 as we close this out. Mark chapter 13 and look at this parable. It being, it's the parable of the fig tree. And he's going to use an illustration of the fig tree and help us understand how close we might be to the rapture, the tribulation, and the second coming. And Jesus paints this picture. Mark chapter 13, verse 28. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Do you get the picture Jesus is painting? When we start to see the leaves change really soon, we're going to know fall is near. In the spring, when those trees start to bud, we know that spring is near. As I'm starting to see Broncos jerseys, I know that the season is about to begin. When you start to see signs of these things that Jesus has been talking about, in Mark chapter 13, he's saying, Something's about to happen. These things are about to be fulfilled. And he uses the illustration of the fig tree. And he says, so you also, when you see these things, everything he's been talking about, happening in your lifetime, know that it is near at the doors. What's near? Jesus coming back. Assuredly, I say to you, now watch verse 30. This generation that sees some of these take place will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of, say it church, that day, got the context? But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father. But take heed, pay attention, watch, pray, for you do not know when the time is. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. But I think we can know when the season is coming and how close we might be. And in verse 29, he says, when these things happen, that generation will not pass away till the fulfillment of all these end time events we've been looking at for the last three weeks. Now, doctrinally speaking, we know based on last week's message, he's just talked about the abomination of desolation. That happens at the midpoint of the tribulation. When that event happens, we know three and a half years later, we know Jesus Christ is coming back. But he's talked about a lot of other things. Wars and rumors of wars. Famines, troubles. Israel becoming a nation again. And Jesus says, when you see those things begin to bud and begin to take place, he says, these things will all happen and that generation will not pass away without seeing the fulfillment of all these things. Now, here's the key. He uses the parable of what kind of tree? 
the fig tree. Throughout the Bible, the fig tree is always a picture of a certain nation. Guess which nation? The nation of Israel, the Jewish people. You can read about Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 13, Mark chapter 11. You can go other places. And what did this generation that we're living in see happen? We saw the fig tree born and planted again. May 14th, 1948, the nation of Israel became a nation. It's continued to grow and blossom for 70 years ever since. We're seeing wars and rumors of wars. Just turn on your TV, troubles, preparation to rebuild the temple. And Jesus said, the generation that sees these things begin to take place will not pass away until all these things be fulfilled. I'm not date setting this morning, but I am saying this. We may be the generation that Jesus was talking about. We may be as we see these things begin to bloom and sprout before our very eyes. And Jesus is saying this to all of us. How do we make this practical? This is what Jesus is saying. Be ready. <laughs> Amen? Be ready. Be watching. Be prepared. Jesus says, I'm coming back. Our Lord, our God will come. He will. Maybe sooner than we realize. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. If you're here as a believer in Jesus Christ, I hope these things get you pumped and get you excited. And they will cause us to be ready for that day. We know that our day is the rapture that could happen anytime. We know that when Jesus comes at the second coming, it's going to be his day, the day of the Lord. Now, here's the deal. What's so special about that day is it's the day that he finally gets the honor and glory that he deserves. But listen, Christians, we don't have to wait till that event to give Jesus honor and glory. We can give him honor and glory and praise through our lives right now as we submit to him. In that day, he's going to come and he's going to sit on a throne in Jerusalem. He's going to rule and reign. Today, he wants to sit on the throne of our lives where he rules and reigns in our hearts as we're obedient to him and his word. How's that going for you? How's that going for you? How would your life be different if you woke up every day believing this might be the day? The day I'm raptured. The day I breathe my last breath. The day that these things begin to be fulfilled. Are, are you ready? And I, I'm not gonna ask you, raise your hand this morning, Christians. I'm just gonna ask you to, you have a Holy Spirit inside of you just to say, Jesus, where am I not ready for your return? What do I need to be doing more of to be ready? What do I need to be doing less of so that you're pleasing? I'm pleasing to you. Who do I need to be witnessing to to be ready for your return? And just spend some time with the Lord, believers. And if you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's where it all begins. The way that you get ready for the return of Jesus Christ, the rapture of the church, and his second coming, the way you know you're going to get that white horse and be in his army and be in heaven and be on the winning side is you invite Jesus Christ into your life as Lord and Savior. That's how you become a saint. That's how you become a believer. And if you've never done that, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. If these events are freaking you out and scaring you, maybe it's because God's trying to get your attention to say, I'm coming back. And I'm coming back for you. 
And I want to take you, but you've got to, you've got to accept me. I'm not going to force my way into your life. And so if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to lead you in a prayer of faith, a prayer you can pray right now from your heart to God's and invite Jesus into your life to prepare for his return, to have your sins forgiven, to know you've got a home in heaven and that you're ready for that day. It's not a magic prayer. It's not a, it's not a prayer that you just you say that's empty. But when you believe it, Jesus will come and be your Lord and Savior. If you're ready to do that and believe it with all your heart, would you, would you pray this prayer with me? It goes like this. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for me. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I want to be ready for your day. Thank you, Jesus, for loving and saving me. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around for just a moment. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if you just prayed that prayer of faith and invited Jesus into your life for the first time, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus from this day forward. Would you just slip up your hand right now all across the auditorium? Yes, I prayed that prayer, invited Jesus into my life. I want to make sure I'm ready for that day when he returns. I want to make sure that I'm raptured. I want to make sure that I'm on the right side. Anyone? God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else? Just slip it up. Put it down so I can see. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. A couple of young ladies. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes, I prayed that prayer. I meant it. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for those putting their faith and trust in you as Lord for the first time today. God, I pray they grow in their relationship with you. Lord, I pray that this teaching in the last three weeks would not just be something that's intriguing to us or, or just for pure knowledge alone, but that the prophecies of the future would get into the practical of our daily lives, that it would wake us up and shake us and realize that we may be the generation that sees all these things fulfilled and that we'd be ready, that we'd be prepared, we'd be living lives that are bringing honor and glory to you and that, Lord, those people that, that are in our sphere of influence that do not know you, that we'd be sharing our faith and introducing them to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We look forward to the day that you come back to get us. We look forward ultimately to the day that you come back and you get the glory and the honor that you deserve. And until that day, God, we pray that you'd receive that honor and glory through our lives submitted to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate Decisions for Christ this morning? Amen. If you made a decision to accept Jesus today, please let us know that on the connection card um, and drop in the offering bucket so we can continue to pray for you. If you're a first-time guest at Orchard Church and you filled out your guest connection card, drop that in the offering bucket as well. Also, if you made a pledge today for the Manna Feeding Centers for the next year, drop those in as well. Uh, God bless you guys for being here. Let's stand and close in a song of response and worship because our God is coming and let's worship through our giving. God bless you guys.